You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Luke chapter 11, you can, uh, let's stand together real quickly as we read just a couple verses here. And we'll get into the message tonight. I'm, I am very aware of the time, and that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying I'm aware of the time. Luke chapter 11. You say that when you want people to feel better about it, you know, so I did. And job done. Okay. Luke 11. We'll read the first four, uh, four verses here. And we've been on a series in prayer on Wednesday nights, and And uh, we're going to jump into what Jesus Christ actually told them or modeled for them to pray tonight. Luke chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we thank you one more time for allowing us to be here, and we pray for your Spirit's guidance to illuminate the words of this passage for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, so far on Wednesday nights, for the last uh, maybe four or five weeks, we've been talking about prayer and talking about the importance of prayer. And, and uh, it's been a help to me, an encouragement to me to study some of these things. Um, and, you know, I could maybe just kind of discuss what we've talked about so far. We won't that, do that tonight. But I, we're going to look tonight into the first phrase that Christ mentions here. He says, and he said unto them, when ye pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven. And um, I have a, sometimes, just as way of introduction, I have a tendency at times to ignore my children when I'm focused on something else. Any other dads ever struggle with this? I feel bad about it, admitting this transparent sin to you of ignoring my children uh, when I'm focused on something else. But when you have five kids and most of them are female, it seems like the majority of them are always talking. So after a while, it just be, kind of becomes background noise. And I, sometimes I've equated our family when we go places and they're excited about something. And again, there's five females in our family. And I sometimes call us the flock of birds wherever we go. You know, you've, you've seen a, a birds on a power line and they're just kind of talking to each other back and forth and just constantly uh, just going. And it's exciting and it's fun But sometimes amidst the noise, one of them will have a question for me and will say something like, Daddy or Dad. Well, I've grown so accustomed to tuning out the noise at times that I won't even notice they've called out my title. And on top of the facts that, number one, my children are noisy, they just are by nature, and number two, I can tune out certain vocal frequencies that it seems like they all speak with. Um, In addition to those things... One of our children is the middle child. I mean, we have five kids, Olivia, Audrey, Caitlin, Lacey, and Jace. And when you have an odd number of children, I didn't say when you have odd children, 
uh, I said when you have an odd number of children, then you have an actual middle child. Caitlin, in our case, Caitlin's our middle child. We've got two older and two younger. And now, I have to say that my heart goes out to middle children. I am, in fact, a middle child, so I feel my daughter Caitlin's pain. There is a real thing called the middle child syndrome, and the way that it's described, it is in which the middle child has a feeling of exclusion. So this effect occurs because the first children, or in our case, the first couple of children, are more prone to receiving privileges and responsibilities by virtue of being the oldest, while the youngest child or children in the family are more likely to receive indulgences. Now, when I was growing up as the middle child, I can tell you that perfectly sums up my childhood. I had an older sister who had far too many privileges and responsibilities, and a younger brother, the baby of the family, who had far too many indulgences. And at least uh, that's how I choose to remember it. it I, maybe I should say tonight that part of being the middle child is that you also have a martyr complex, but that doesn't apply to me. So, Well, Caitlin is our middle child, and she would definitely tell you that the middle child is excluded. It's kind of true of all the voices, and it's strange, but of all the voices I have trouble hearing the most, Caitlin's just kind of blends in. As a matter of fact, she's the only child we have ever left anywhere. So I think she really does fit the description here tonight. At one point a couple years ago, she got fed up with saying daddy or dad and, and not being heard. So she came up with an ingenious way to get my attention. Being the good Christian, it doesn't involve shooting, um, being the good Christian church kid that she is, she heard someone teach or preach on a phrase used in Mark by Jesus Christ and mentioned twice by the Apostle Paul in his writings. And this phrase is Abba, Father. Now, if you remember in Mark, Jesus Christ was in the garden and he was, he was asking his father to let the cup pass from him. And so in his time of great need and desperation, uh, he cried out to his father and said, Abba, Father. Paul said a couple of times in his writings that when we use that phrase, Abba, Father, it's when we are in our time of need and the Holy Spirit comes and directs our hearts to speak out or cry out to God. Abba, Father, it's a term, it's a serious term, it's a title used when you're crying out to our Father in time of need. So Caitlin, as spiritual as she is, again, she's a church kid, she decided that saying dad or daddy at times was not enough, and sometimes even the more formal father wouldn't work, so she adopted that special spiritual phrase from the New Testament and began using it when she felt I was giving her, not giving her the attention she desired or needed. And she now, she, she inversed the order, and now when Caitlin wants my attention, she says, Father Abba, very piously and spiritually just like that. When she really wants to get a hold of me, Father Abba. Now, I'm not sure how doctrinally appropriate it is to use for that reason, but because she invert, inverted the terms, I think it's probably okay in this situation. She's not doing it to be uh, demeaning or, uh, or, you know, she's not using it in a bad way. She's trying to get my attention. Now, I'm telling you, it gets my attention every single time because I hear daddy or I hear dad or I hear Jason a lot. I'm not telling you who does that one. But when I hear Abba Father in a very spiritual term, it snaps me out of whatever I'm giving my attention to and I directly and it, I mean immediately almost every time hear when she says it. 
So my, the, uh, the two children below her now are saying, Abba, Father, when they're trying to get my attention. And uh, I know it's a silly illustration, but I'm using it because it does kind of apply tonight. In that Jesus Christ told us, he told the disciples to use the term Father when we're addressing God in prayer. And the title obviously means something to Christ. He wants us to view our relationship in a more personal way than we would assume. God is our, is our Father. He's our Abba. He's that, he has that kind of interest and care and concern for us. And when we're His children and we want to get His attention through prayer, we cry out, Father. And you know what's great about God our Father? I, this thought came to me as I was thinking about our middle child uh, and how she may feel excluded sometimes or the middle child will at times. But you know what's great about God as our Father is that there are no middle, middle children in His family. There's no one excluded from being heard. There's no one left behind. There's no one that's ever ignored. There's not one of His children, when they cry Father to Him as their Father, that He's busy with something else. He hears every time. If we come to him as a child, to his father, he hears us. And I'm so thankful. You know, I, I just, I started thinking about the term father and, and started wondering why uh, Jesus Christ would tell us to use the term father here. Uh, this title is almost too familiar to us, I think. We use it so much that we don't even, maybe even notice uh, when we pray. But, you know, where did it come from? I read, was reading a book from R.C. Sproul called The Prayer of the Lord and it provided some good direction here on this subject tonight. I want to give credit where credit is due, but the Old Testament spoke about the nation of Israel being God's son. In Matthew's gospel, uh, shortly after Christ was born in Bethlehem, an angel came to Joseph and, and, to take, and told him, take Mary and take the baby and go to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. And while in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew refers there in chapter 2, verse 15, that that was, event was fulfilling a prophecy from the book of Hosea. I know I'm going round about it to get there, but in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, it said, out of Egypt I called my son. So that's a reference um, to the exodus of Israel out of Egypt way back when, when Moses led the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. So out of Egypt... I have called my son, Hosea wrote, and Matthew referred to. And in that story, um, God is referring to Israel as his son. And God basically tells Pharaoh, he says, if you don't respect my son, Israel, and let them go out of, out of Egypt, then I will take your son. And what happened? That last plague you know, because it, Egypt would not release God's son, Israel, then God sent an angel, and that angel of death went through, the, went through Egypt and took the firstborn of every household of Egypt, including Pharaoh's own son. So the Israelites were always in a son relationship with God, which would make him their father. And I love that story because you see God as a father standing up for his son intervening for his son and saying, if you don't take care of my son, then, then your son is at risk. The Israelites had a son relationship with God that would make him their father. So what's interesting is the Israelites, though never addressed God as father in their prayers, 
both historically and in the Bible. A German theologian and New Testament scholar named Jeremiah did a study, and he searched through the Old Testament writings as well as writings from ancient Jewish sources, and he could not find a single example of a Jewish writer or author addressing God as Father until the 10th century A.D., So it's interesting since we already saw that Israel was known as God's son. I mean, you would have to think if they were reading the scriptures, they are seeing that God is calling them Israel. He's calling calling them his son. But they didn't refer to him as father. But Jeremiah also did research and did some study on every prayer of Jesus Christ. And he found something equally interesting. And that is that in every prayer of Jesus Christ recorded in the New Testament... Except for one, he addresses God as Father. So Jesus Christ, what he's doing in, in, in his prayers in the New Testament is he's making a deliberate departure from the tradition of the Pharisees by referring to God as Father. And you could say they weren't happy about it. They didn't like that Jesus Christ came along. And again, even though God refers to Israel as his son, it's his offspring. You would think that they would connect the dots and say, well, if God calls us his son, then we can assume he plays the role of our father. But when Jesus Christ came along and said, when you pray, use the term father or my father, they didn't like it at all. It was was throwing their tradition right back in their face. They didn't like it so much that I read a verse in John John chapter 5. It says, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work... Therefore, because Jesus Christ says, my father, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They don't like it because the term father is much more than just a figurehead term. And friends, today, as people who pray, I hope that we do, and I hope we're getting more into the discipline of prayer But I want you to understand that Father is not just a prayer starter. It's not just like, you know, well, what you do when you need a fire, you light a match. Well, that's what you do when you start praying. You say, Father in heaven. Kind of like my son, when I would talk about that a few weeks ago, and how he would, you know, sometimes we just pray based on what we hear and we copy what we hear. He would say, my heavenly Father. Not really even knowing what he was saying, but I think it's because Dad... Very often, when he starts his prayers, we'll just say, my Heavenly Father. Not truly thinking about the fact that to say Father means that we get to have an intimate, personal, and, and, and uh, close, near relationship with the God who created everything. And it's not just an expression. It is a relationship. It gives expression to the doctrine of adoption. God adopted me. I'm his son. And I I know some of you in here have have adopted, and so you know what that's like when you adopt someone. I mean, they become your son. It's not like, well, you know, we have, uh, you know, know, uh, not really officially, but, you know, kind of they're our son because, no, they are your son legally. They're your sons. And I'm thankful that in adoption, you know, there's no way around it. It is official It's as if they were your natural-born children. Well, that's the relationship that you and I get to have with God. He's our Father. 
The term father is personal. And that's kind of the first thing I want you to notice. He's our father. It's personal. Because we are by nature. And I want you to understand this. Because some people will misunderstand when I stand up here and say that he's our father. And everyone says, yes, amen. No, listen, we are by nature children. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are children of wrath. So when I was born and you were born because of our sin, we couldn't call out to God as our father. We would have to have called out to his sense of justice on our sin as being our parent. We were children of wrath. We don't naturally have a personal, intimate, close family relationship with God. Being born in sin, uh, that's, that means we were the children of wrath. That's what we deserved. But listen, here it is. At salvation, we were adopted into the family of God through Christ. So Jesus Christ was born. I want you to understand. Jesus Christ was born with the right to cry out to his father, Abba, Father. But when he gave his disciples this prayer as a model, he gave them and us the opportunity to address his father as our father. I mean, according to what Paul wrote in Galatians 4, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer lives. It prompts us to cry, Abba, Father. This is not just a term we throw out there, you know, to, to get the, the thing going. It's a relationship, and it's personal. Using the term father makes it personal. We get to have a personal, close, intimate relationship with the God who created everything. And sometimes when I pray, I almost stop myself when I use the word father. And it doesn't happen every time, because just like you, I get used to the things that I say. And I just say them. But there are times when I say father and it strikes me. And the Holy Spirit prompts me from the inside out to say, hey, this is, this is a real relationship. You can say, Abba, Father. You can know God on a personal level. I mean, it just strikes me and makes me stop in my prayer tracks that a God that high would stoop so low to draw to a sinner like me. It's amazing. So the term Father is personal the term father is also particular. And this is the one that's not politically correct. And so I'm just going to say that right up front. To be, to be particular means selective. It's not applicable to everyone. See, meaning he's not everyone's father. See, we can understand that. You're only the parent of your children, if you have children. And that could, you know, could be by birth, it could be by adoption, but either way... You're not everyone's parent. And sometimes when I see children, other children, I'm thankful. I'm not their parent. I mean, some people look at my kids and they say the same thing, Brother Bob. So, so it's okay. It goes around. It's full circle. Say, well, I'm glad the Jets don't live in my house. You know, in the same way, though, the Bible doesn't teach universal fatherhood of God. So in other words, the only people who can claim God as their father are those who have been born again and adopted into the family through Christ. See, many try to teach that all human beings are the children of God, but they did not get that concept from the Bible. And before you think I'm being mean, hear me out as I go through this. I know it's politically incorrect for me to say it, but it is unbiblical to say that God is everyone's father because he's just not everyone's father. The fatherhood of God is dependent on redemption, not creation. 
So we are, if we are redeemed, if we are saved, if we have been adopted into the family, he's certainly our father. But just because we exist does not mean he's our father. And as difficult as it is for some to hear this, the fatherhood of God is restrictive and exclusive. It's particular. It's not universally inclusive. And I don't believe we have a universal brotherhood either. That's not taught in the scripture. If we don't share the same father, then those who aren't redeemed cannot be considered brothers or sisters. So let me balance this though. Because it doesn't mean we don't have to be kind to other people. See, whether or not we share God's fatherhood or mankind's brotherhood as being part of God's family, I like what Sproul wrote when he said we do share universal neighborhood so we you and i i may live next to someone who has not been redeemed by the blood of jesus christ and therefore they don't have god as their father and i can't technically really even call them my brother but they are my neighbor and jesus christ in matthew 22 said the first commandment with promise love the lord thy god with all thy heart and soul the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy Neighbor as thyself. So there may not be a universal fatherhood, and there may not be a universal brotherhood, but there is a universal neighborhood. And Christian, we have a responsibility to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So it doesn't necessarily, I mean, we, the relationship may not be there, but it doesn't mean that we don't love, and it doesn't mean we don't reach out, and it doesn't mean we don't treat others with kindness. Just because we don't share fatherhood or brotherhood doesn't mean we're not in the same neighborhood. So we should love our neighbors with the end in mind that our testimony might win them to redemption and then enjoy and find out how incredible it is to have God as their father. Then they can be a brother or a sister. So father is particular. And I know it's not popular, but it's true. It's a particular term. It's a personal term. And the term father third is also simply a picture it's a picture god uses the term father so we can relate to something that we can understand it's a picture of our family relationship with each other so for god to use the term father and and bear with me we're almost done here but for god to use the term father means he wants us to be under to understand him as a human father ought to be for a long time I have always thought of God. When I think of God, I think of my father. That's the best description or the best understanding that I can have of God is I think about my own father. I know not everyone's in that situation, though. I understand that many people struggle to view God as father because they didn't have a good or godly human father. And again, I'm not trying to be politically incorrect. I'm just saying it at, you know, because that's life. Not everyone had a father who who portrayed or conveyed the characteristics of God in their life. Some grew up in a home with an abusive father. Some had a cruel father. Some had a home with a disconnected father. Some had a home where their father didn't lead the home or, or lived a sinful lifestyle or their father was not saved. And I, I imagine that would be difficult. I, honestly, I can't really put myself in that position and I, I, hate, I hate that I can't relate to that, but I'm also thankful that I had a godly father growing up. I don't have to deal with that because I had a godly father who raised me in the ways of the Lord. And let me just say this, no father is perfect. 
And my father was not perfect. No one is, but he did, he did portray, though, the characteristics that I would attribute to God. I mean, he disciplined me. It's what a father does. He loved me enough to discipline me. And by the way, fathers in here, if you say, I love my children too much to spank them, then you do not, or discipline them, then you don't understand godly love. Because the Bible says that a godly father, that, we, that God, who he loves, he chasteneth. And I'm not saying that the only form of discipline is spanking, and I certainly would never say that you can abuse a child because that is not right. But there are forms of discipline in the Bible. Sparing not the rod, for instance. When someone loves a child, he will not leave him undisciplined because to leave a child undisciplined will lead him to a life of undiscipline. And a life of undiscipline is a life of heartache and struggle and, and constantly warring against yourself. There is something about the Bible form of discipline that helps a child. And if you love your child, you'll discipline. That's what God does. My dad did. Many times. Not fun as a child. But you know, I think a lot of who I am is because I had parents who loved me enough to discipline me. He loved me. He led me. He challenged me not to settle all the time, always trying to get me to be more than what I wanted to be. Uh, he refused to let me live in sin. He provided for me. He worked on having a relationship with me. He led our home. He loved God, and he modeled that to his children. I'm so thankful for my upbringing, but I know many of you don't, didn't have it. But I want you to consider the term Christ used. He says, our Father. See, the use of the word our puts us in the same category as Jesus Christ, the natural born son. So he's not saying, when you pray, I want you to think about your dad. That's not what he's saying. Because uh, if we were to think about our dads when we pray to God, it would sell God far short of what he really is. He's not saying, pray, to the one, or pray thinking about the one that raised you. Pray thinking about your biological father. No, he, you know, he's not saying that God is a, is a perfect picture of your earthly father. What he is saying is that Jesus Christ is saying, I have a father who I get to call father naturally. And I'll let you call him father through adoption. He's our father. He's our father. So when I, so when I pray, I don't say my father... I may think, well, that represents my earthly dad, and as much as as godly as my dad is, that's not what Christ is saying. See, the term our father points to our earthly fathers, but in the perfect ways. See, your father may have been cruel, but our father, us and Jesus Christ, you know, we're in together in this, our father is not cruel. The one in heaven is not cruel. Your father may have been abusive, but our father is not. Your father may have been disconnected, he may have been a bad leader. He may have been sinful. He may have been angry or flawed. But our father, our father is not. He's loving and he's patient and he corrects us when we need it. He punishes us for our sin, which we need, but he never leaves us or forsakes us. So to use the term father helps us relate to God, but it's really just a picture of an earthly father because our, because our father is perfect in every way. 
So when we say father, it's a picture, but it's not a perfect representation. There's no father on earth like our father in heaven. So he says, our father, which art in heaven, and this last phrase is, is what I want to close with. He's not our, it's not our father, my father who raised me. No, this father is in heaven. And the term father is personal. But the phrase in heaven is a constant reminder that this father is far greater than us. We're not saying, hey, hey, dad, across the street. No, this one's in heaven. See, in heaven means he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he's absolutely holy. The contrast of the phrases, and I want you to think about it. You have this phrase on one hand, our father, which is very personal. It's, I mean, it's very intimate. It's close. But on the other hand, you have this phrase, in heaven, which is not nearly as personal it's not nearly as close. It's not nearly as intimate. But I think it's on purpose, the contrast between the two. You have both personal and you also have powerful. You have near and you have alike and you have close, but you also have holy. Father reminds us of a near dear relationship. In heaven reminds us of his infinite grace, greatness above us. See, Arthur Pink said this, to use the term father means that we have goodness and grace. But to think of the term in heaven reminds us of greatness and majesty. Father fills us with love. In heaven fills us with awe. See, they balance each other. See, if all I ever used was father, then I think you might fall into the trap of what many contemporary Christians are falling into, especially with their music, and that it's always about the close, intimate, personal relationship. But see, if all we ever thought about God was as our Father, it could lead to an unholy familiarity because it's never balanced by the fact that, yes, He's our Father, but He's also in heaven. And we, independent Baptists, sometimes can be over here where, where it's always about his holiness, it's always about his greatness, and it's always about how strong and mighty and terrible and great that he is. And we don't balance it by saying, but he's also our father. So you see how these terms, our father in heaven, give us a perfect balance, a perfect picture of our God. He's good, he's also great. Yeah, he's mighty, but he's also merciful. He has limitless love, yes, but he's also limit, limitlessly lofty. See, we can approach him. It's personal, but he's holy. And that knowledge helps us revere him in a way that he deserves. See, I love my dad. I can't wait to see him again. I got to see him last week in Oklahoma when we went down. We're going back for graduation at Heartland Next week, I get to go see him again. I'm excited. If you've met my dad, I mean, he's an enjoyable guy. He's fun. He can be silly. As a dad, he was always the funny dad. You know, I mean, dad jokes make you roll your eyes a little bit. But still, he's approachable. But you know what? So that's him. That's father. My father. 
Do you know what? Also, growing up, he was also, which art in heaven, <laughs> in that, not, not that he's perfect, but that he laid down the law. And that he disciplined me. And that he had standards for our home that he required me to follow. And when I didn't, I felt his wrath. I was then a child of wrath. So he was my father in that he was approachable and loving and he cared for me and he provided for me and he wanted a relationship. But he also had the balance to it and that he also had rules and he had standards of holiness. And if I did not meet them, then I was in trouble. So it caused me in my whole life to love my dad dearly, but to have a very healthy respect for him at the same time. I respected him almost to the point at times of fearing him. And my wife and I are going through that now too with our children. And see, they'll go to her and they'll ask her for things and she'll come and tell me. And I was like, why'd they come to ask you? And said, they're afraid to ask you. I don't want to be unapproachable. But on the other hand, that's a picture of a father. Because I have plenty of good times with my, with my children. We enjoy each other. We laugh, we're silly, I can be that way for sure. But I do think it's healthy, though, that they have a respect for their father. They rever reverence the rules I give them. They respect, and even to the point of fearing in a healthy way, they fear me as their father because I'm the one who has to lay down the law at times. And make the rules, not for meanness sake, but for protection sake. And the balance I'm seeing that I saw in my own dad growing up, I'm finding it to be in me too. And I'm not saying I'm perfectly balanced. I'm not saying I do everything right. I'm simply saying I'm seeing it lived out in this generation with my own children too. You know, that's our father. He's personal, but because he's holy, when we approach him, don't, don't approach him like your best friend. Don't approach him like, you know, he's just the, you know, you would don't call him bro. Don't say dude. Don't call him by anything other than our father because that he is in heaven. When you approach him, be serious about it because we're entering the presence of someone who is so much higher than we could ever imagine, but he still lets us call him our father. So listen, when you pray, remember, approach him like your father because he loves you dearly. But since he's in heaven, which means that we, that we ought to approach him with a healthy dose of respect. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ said, you can call him our father. I'm so thankful that I get to be adopted into this family. I'm so thankful that even though there's not a universal fatherhood or a universal brotherhood, that Jesus Christ gave me the opportunity to be adopted. And don't ever lose sight of the fact that we have a father in heaven. We should be thankful for that tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. And I'm just grateful. I, I'm overjoyed tonight at the thought, and I know I had time to think about this all day. But that you would let me call you father is beyond my understanding. I know myself, and I know who I am, and I know the sin, and I know how the struggles at times in my life, and, and sure, I certainly did not deserve to be welcomed into your family, but you, with open arms, there are no middle children with God. 
There's no exclusion. You always hear my prayers, and I'm so thankful. God, thank you for the reminder of being our Father. I pray tonight that you would help us each to take prayer seriously and to take our relationship with you seriously so that when we approach you, we do it with, a person, with personal touch, but also with a healthy dose of respect. God, I don't know how else to say it, but thank you. And I pray that you bless us tonight, help these truths to be something that really resonate in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.